there. Welcome into Downtown the Podcast, episode number 72. This is Rich Kimball here with Carrie Haskell, our Zone Radio Studios on Broadway in Bangor. Our daily show, Downtown, originates from here Monday through Friday from 4 to 6 p.m. Eastern Time. Streaming audio is available on our website, downtownwithrichkimball.com, WZONAM.com, the Zone Radio Station's the greater Bangor area of the state of Maine, New England, United States of America. On the program this week, two talented folks, actor and author Stephen Tobolowski and singer-songwriter Stephen Bishop. And when we begin this week, first of all, by reminding you that we're brought to you by Cross Insurance, where security meets strength. We start with a very busy guy, Stephen Tobolowski, who's appearing in three different television series, The Goldbergs, Schooled, and Getting Ready, to do the fourth season of One Day at a Time. But uh, it looked for a while, as Stephen told us, like maybe he wouldn't be working. He was drinking beer in Iceland and wondering if there would be work again. Uh, as always, it's a great conversation covering a lot of ground when Stephen Tobolowski joins us. So let's give a listen. Hello, Rich. How's everything out there in Bangor? It is beautiful. It's a gorgeous <laughs> Chamber of Commerce kind of fall day today. Did, did I tell you that I was... I, I think I may have told Carrie this, but I was watching like House Hunters and there was Bangor and there was uh, the square and where we got coffee. Oh, and wow. It, the whole place was there. And I knew it was a setup. I knew it was rigged. <laughs> and the way I knew it was rigged is that the people driving in their cars were completely dressed. <laughs> this was one thing that really shocked me about Bangor, Maine. There were so many people driving in their pajamas. Uh, of course, we were up in, in the morning at some of those times, but uh, driving in, in their pajamas and their night coats. And, and I thought that there is a great deal of comfort and confidence to a people that can drive uh, not completely dressed. Because you know you're going to make it to your destination, or you know if you don't, there's going to be somebody there that's going to take you into their home, set you up with a bed and a nice cup of coffee. It, it's it, it was one of the highlights of, boy, it was one of the highlights of that whole year was coming to Bangor. I'm glad you view it as comfort and confidence and not simply just giving up. <laughs> <laughs> No, it was it was comfort and confidence for sure. Excellent. For we're, sure. We're glad to hear that. I want to also get an update, if we can. How uh, how is construction going at Shea Tobolowski? Oh, gosh. Oh, man. I, I always think that the the genetic descendant of Don Juan is the contractor because <laughs> these people are born to disappoint women. It's like every every promise. Every promise that's made is broken, but not only broken, but broken in a way that is so vile. It began last December, December, like we're in September now, right? Right. So it's almost a calendar year. It began last December when my wife, Ann, noticed that there was some water inside of our home. And the contractor said, well, it's the balcony off of your bedroom. We have this, we had this little balcony you could hardly even stand on that was somehow leaking. The flashing or flushing, whatever it is, was not properly done. And it was leaking into the house. So they pulled the entire balcony off of our house. So now we have a gigantic hole in the second story front of our house into our bedroom that they covered with a thick sheet of plastic. 
Oh, good. That that sheet of plastic was on our home for about eight months. Eight months to where wow. Ann and I, we'd be taking a shower. You come out, there's that sheet of plastic, and you have to negotiate getting from the shower to some cover as rapidly as possible. Now, after that happened, they discovered that there were termites and dry rot in the roof, so they pulled the roof off. Mm. And then they started pulling off every window of the house that the flashing or flushing was incorrectly put on. So we had holes all over our home and all sorts of critters were coming into our house. So we've been, now we have the hole in the balcony has been fixed. We have our driveways been torn up. So now our cars can't go into our garage and it's a tale of woe when, when you live here, uh, we we are like people in Maine in the morning because at six in the morning we have to get up and move our cars off our property so the workers can get here and Ann and I do wear our pajamas <laughs> when we get into our car and move those cars but it's not out of comfort oh no but but they told us that it would be finished the house would be finished at at least by the end of October so that would almost be a calendar year. Well, you sent me a little video, and uh, oh. it looked like the set of the sequel to The Hurt Locker. <laughs> I mean, rubble, rubble. Yeah, oh, yes. talk yeah. yeah, it's like Aleppo. It's like Syria. Our home looked like it was transplanted from the streets of Aleppo. It was tragic, and our cats have adjusted. So now they're just sleeping by the big holes in the wall now, and, and they seem to have calmed down a bit. Our rabbit has adjusted. So we're we're all adjusted. The only one who really hasn't adjusted is Anne. And she said she wants to do all of the talking to our contractor <laughs> to put the fear of God in him. Because <laughs> she could do that like nobody else. She's my superhero in this case. And, and I'm a little concerned. Uh, you said that your, your squirrel friend uh, has been... Uh has been scarce ever since this project got going, huh? Yeah, yeah. Uh, the squirrel, Violetta the squirrel. We have not seen Violetta, but this morning I did see a baby squirrel oh. come running along the wall where Violetta did, and I'm thinking, is it possible she was on the nest and this is one of her children? And the little baby came running up to where we put nuts for Violetta. And then about 20 feet from our home, the baby ducked into a bush. And what came out of a bush was a large tree rat oh. who continued the journey toward our home. And and so I don't know. We, we put a limit on uh, what, what do you call transitional pets, <laughs> animals that aren't really pets right. that come up and eat from you. We, we don't let the rats do that. We, we don't feed the rats. So, but everything else we feed, we feed the turtle, we feed the uh, towhee, the California towhees, the birds. We, we feed them all except for the rats. We have to draw a line somewhere. You clearly. have to draw a line somewhere. <laughs> We're talking with Stephen Tobolowsky here on downtown. Well, let's talk about the work because, my goodness, it's coming fast and furious for you lately, uh, shooting the Goldbergs, uh, the Goldberg spinoff school. You got a lot going on. A lot going on. And, and, you know, it wasn't long ago, Rich, that we had nothing going on. This is one of the important things about being an actor that that people have to always accommodate is that your last job could be the last job you ever had. And Anne and I went to Finland, Finland, 
on a vacation, uh, she went to work and I went to celebrate, I think my 67th or 8th birthday, one of those two. And, and so I was just working on my stories and Anne was working with a playwright over there. And I had to come back to a meeting in Austin, Texas. And there is a flight that goes from Helsinki to Austin, Texas, if you could believe it. Wow. And there was a meeting about one day at a time, which, which Netflix did not pick up. And so after three glorious uh, seasons, we were canceled. And I met there w- in Austin with our executive producer, Mike Royce, and uh, Brett Miller, our other executive producer. Norman wasn't there. Justina Mikada was there. Todd Grinnell was there and myself. And Mike confided with us and said, the show isn't dead yet. He, he says, I've worked on dead shows and there's life out there. There are three different networks that are interested in one day at a time now because their big comedies got canceled. And of all things, CBS pop, God love them. That's the station that's been doing Shit's Creek, which mm. was a very big hit for them. And, and they love one day at a time and they picked us up and the, it was, it was kind of a lovely moment in that we were at dinner and Mike says, it's not dead, but everybody's probably going to have to give up something to make this happen. And everybody did. You hear all sorts of stories in show business about people who are always in a way putting themselves first and not the project. You, you, put the project first a lot of times in theater, but not in television. But everybody loved one day at a time so much, all the actors. We all gave up things. We all gave up parts of our salary, whatever our salary uh, was or were. Uh, Norman Lear gave up his uh, fees and his money on the show, gave it up completely. Our executive producers gave up their money. Everybody gave up something to make another season of one day at a time possible. And out of, you know, Rich, I've been on good shows and I've been on bad shows, but this warmed my heart that everybody felt so strongly involved with one day at a time that we were all willing to make a sacrifice. Uh, and, and here's where it comes back around to the Goldbergs and schooled. So everybody had to make a sacrifice. I, I made a financial one, to do that. And a lot of the people involved over at Sony, 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 the studio gave up a lot of their money. Hmm. The studio gave up the money. So they wanted to lend in a hand as did my agents and managers. They said, we want to try to make up what you lost in keeping one day at a time on the air. So we're going to rustle up some Goldbergs and schools for you, which is at Sony, which shoots right next door to one day at a time. And they did. And so I went from having the end of my life in Helsinki. I'm just going to drink beer and eat. <laughs> you know, they, they, they have salmon in Helsinki. So if you like salmon, you would have died and gone to heaven. <laughs> if you want a choice on the menu other than salmon, you may have to look <laughs> long and hard. Uh, so I was eating salmon and drinking beer, finished with my acting career, ready just to die on the vine. And now I'm involved with three shows in a row, uh, 
I just finished uh, yesterday. I did another Goldberg's. I've done schooled another Goldberg's the week before. Everybody's trying to load up on everything before one day at a time starts again in January. So it was a really, really wonderful uh, showbiz story from my point of view. Well, it sure is. And it's such a terrific series. We love it. The critics love it. And people, so many people fought to get this show back. It has to feel awfully good when you get somebody like Lynn manuel Miranda taking up the cause of your show. Yeah, Lynn, Lynn was fabulous. And he, he was tweeting out about it. Come on, guys, you got to pick this show up. It, it was, <laughs> it was wonderful. Uh, he is the sweetest guy. He is such a wonderful guy. He's come by the show, uh, some, and, and we went, uh, uh, at the show where they honored him. We, we went and were there to support him for that. And such a wonderful guy, great family. It, there are a few nice stories in, in show business that, that, uh, percolate around, uh, here, here's a diversion a, a, a divergent story that we don't usually talk about. And it's, it's something that was probably like one of the biggest things that's happened to me in my life, probably will be a s- subject of a podcast at some point when I digest it. But our eldest son, Robert, 30 years old, moved out of the house. Uh, he wasn't one of these kids, you know, eating potato chips in the basement. He was a professor of organic chemistry mm at UCLA, and he ended up getting a tenured gig at Pierce College here in Los Angeles teaching organic chemistry, being one of the big wheels in their organic chemistry department. He moved out of the house uh, two weeks ago, and Ann and I became official empty nesters. Oh, boy. How is that going? Yeah. It's been the subject of of comedy on television, but I got to say— I felt so empty and so sad. And my wife felt so empty and sad too. At the same time, my father, who's 96 or 97, uh, he just had a birthday. And my brother gives me regular reports on how dad is declining rapidly. He can't remember anything. He, He can't remember the end of the sentence at the beginning of the sentence. For some reason... I was feeling really low that day, and I thought I would call up dad. And I called him up, got him at at the nursing home where he's staying, and he says, well, how are you doing? And I said, well, dad, here's the real story. Annie and I are so sad because we're alone in the house now. We we don't have the kids there anymore, Uh, even though they're not kids, they're grown up. And you realize at a certain point that the purpose of parenthood is so they will go. So they will go and live a successful life. That's all you want is for them to find some sort of success. So I called my dad up and I I told him this. And my father, who couldn't remember the beginning of a sentence, said, Stephen, I want to tell you, when you left the home, it was one of the hardest things that your mother and I had to go through. Mm. Uh, we did everything we could, but not having the laughter in the house and not having you kids playing in the house really tore us apart. And it was hard on us. And so we worked as hard as we could. But Stephen, let me tell you, it was nothing work. 
It was work just to fill the emptiness, and it was empty. And we traveled, and that was empty too. So all I can tell you is it's something to deal with. It's a part of growing up just like any part of growing up is. It's a period of adjustment. I don't know if your mother and I were ever successful. You may not be successful, but just know it's something we all go through. Wow. And I could not believe it. <laughs> it was one of the most in-depth, personal, emotionally there, completely cognitive conversations I ever had with my father. It was so important to me and so moving that uh, that was one of the biggest things that's happened to me uh, in the past few weeks since we talked last. And I don't think I'll ever forget that conversation with Daddy O. Oh, that is wonderful. Well, you know, I, I came to parenthood late in life, and so I'm experiencing the first stage of that. I dropped my little guy off at kindergarten day one last week, and it was a lot tougher on me than it was on him. He was doing great, and then he got in that line that they put them in to go inside with their teacher, and he just cast a look over his left shoulder, a moment of uncertainty, and I said, I need to get to my car very quickly. <laughs> oh, so moving they, out for good. Uh, I, I'm a basket case just thinking about it. Yeah, they don't warn you of that stuff. And when you watch uh, sitcoms on television, those aren't usually the subjects they go to are the things that people really have to deal with. Uh, maybe, hey, it's something one day at a time would deal with. Yes, indeed. It, it's one of the topics that one day at a time would, the untouchable topics. And uh, it's probably one of the reasons why I love this show so much, because there's something absolutely unique and untouchable about that show in the topics that it picks to discuss. But anyway, that's been my big news is trying to deal with deal with uh, kids mm. leaving. I, ah. you, uh, you mentioned your trip to Finland. You had some wonderful photos of some beautiful pictures. Uh, but I seem to recall some challenges when you were in the pantry in the home you were staying at. Yeah, it was impossible. The Finnish language is like someone takes a Scrabble, the, like the letters from Scrabble, and just throws them up in the air. And then you have some 12-letter word there <laughs> with, more, with more vowels than you've ever seen, or all consonants, one or the other. <laughs> with, with umla You know, they have iPhones over there. And you know how you type messages on an iPhone? Mm. I couldn't even read the letters they had on the iPhone because they have more than, they have more than 26 letters in their <laughs> alphabet. And they have a lot of umlauts and a lot of oh letters crossed through with things that are that, that you can't read anything. You could have a word that's like, you know, 30 letters long with all sorts of umlauts and everything on it that means enter. <laughs> Something like that. Uh, I got I got hit up by gypsies there. I got hit up by gypsies. Uh, two gypsy uh, girls, and and apparently this is this is the big scam over there. Uh, is it it is the most uh, Finland is the most undiverse country you could ever possibly go to. Everybody is not only tall and blonde and white, but they're tall and blonde and white. There, there's just <laughs> nobody else there. But they do have a couple of gypsies there that come from across the border 
and they start doing the panhandling thing, asking for spare change or whatever. So I pulled out a euro to give to these two gypsy girls who came up to me. And she says, you could keep your money. What we really need is food. Will you take me to the grocery store and buy me food? And one of the old lessons I learned in my Jewish studies is that when somebody asks you for something specifically, if you can do it, try to do it. So I said, okay, what store do we go to? And she pointed to a grocery store. We went in there and I have never seen, it was like she was on guys' grocery games. (laughs) I've never seen anybody work a grocery store as fast as she did. Within five, she got a ham, she got some steaks, She's she got 48 eggs. Wow. She got heads of cheese. She 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 loaded up her cart with, with food. And then her sister came running up with a bag of potato chips. And I said, no, no, no. <laughs> I, I had to draw the line somewhere. Rich, we all have to. I said, no potato chips. You don't need the potato chips. She got milk. She got all of uh, flour to make bread. And we ended up, it ended up costing something like 45 euros of, of food money that, that I bought, I, I bought these gypsy girls, uh, their food. And then she said, are you coming back tomorrow? Because (laughs) we're going to need this, this will take care of, I go, no, no, I'm never coming back here again. I'm never coming to the street again. Uh, I did have one miracle in Helsinki in that uh, the man who does my eye, ear, nose and throat, that doctor, he, he, has a new, he has a new little kid and he said what he likes is snow globes. Oh, yes. And he wants, if, if in Helsinki I could bring him back a snow globe. Well, I'm in this city and I can't read anything anywhere. I can't read the names of streets. I can't find my way on a map. I don't know anywhere. And I'm walking around the downtown area and I'm walking into a store to try to find out where is the street where my my little Airbnb is because I have no idea where I'm, I'm lost. And I walk into the place and it's the Snow Globe store. <laughs> the one Snow wow. Globe store in all of Scandinavia. And I ended up buying a snow globe there in Helsinki. That was wonderful. Uh, it 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 was it was an amazing place to go, and I would love to go back again. I I loved it. And Anne now is directing a lot, and she knows these Finnish writers. And hopefully, you know, it would be nice to go over there and have Anne direct a play over in Helsinki. And uh, I just would continue my drinking beer and. Uh, trying to avoid the gypsies at all costs. (laughs) And and eat the salmon, certainly. Before we let you go, I wanted to ask you, uh, you did a wonderful, looked like a wonderful event uh, thing with uh, David Chen doing the Tobolowsky Files Live. That looked like a fabulous gathering. Yeah, it it was pretty amazing. It was kind of like the first year they did it, and I can imagine that people would, that this event could continue to grow. It was a combination of rock music events and theatrical events. And if you play rock, paper, scissors with a theater event and a rock and roll event in a venue next door, the rock and roll 
event will always win. <laughs> you, you know, once those guitars start tuning up, if you're there telling a story or something, forget it. <laughs> so I, I'm looking at the schedule with David Chen. I'm looking over, I'm thinking like, okay, we're coming on. We have, ex- they had scheduled us for something like 50 minutes, but I could see that it was 43 minutes between when the next rock group was supposed to come on. (laughs) And I figured those guitarists were going to probably want to tune up beforehand. So on the fly, David and I cut our performance down by seven minutes to to where I was able to finish the last sentences of the story just as the rock band started warming up. It was... It was, first of all, it's always great to do a Tobolowsky Files event live. We had a great time. We had a great time where I read stories there in Maine. That was fabulous. Mm. Uh, And you meet so many people. And who I met there in line who who came up to me afterwards was an entire family who came to see the Tobolowsky Files because they were fans of One Day at a Time. Oh, yeah. And so you, you see that everywhere and uh, you get the one day at a time love everywhere. And uh, it, it was wonderful. And David, it was always phenomenal to see David and David Chen and I, now this is an exclusive okay. for your audience. Wonderful. But David is coming to Los Angeles in December and we're going to try to make some films of the Tobolowsky files before I start shooting one day at a time. Maybe if we're able to do two or three live in a theater with an audience of, of me doing some live Tobolowsky files uh, shows with an audience, that's our aim. That's what we're going to try to do and then distribute them on a YouTube channel for, for like free. That sounds wonderful. Just, yeah. Just for uh, amusement. I love the sound of that. Well, it is always great to catch up with you, Stephen. We wish you uh, continued success with all of your TV work, with the construction. And, and I want you to know that in your honor, I'm going to get up early tomorrow, put on my best pajamas and drive around Bangor. <laughs> Just drive your kid to school. Oh, And, yes, and you'll, you'll be like all those other parents in line. I love it. <laughs> Thank you, Stephen. Thank you so much, Rich. And love to everybody out there. Great stuff, as always, from Stephen Tobolowsky here on Downtown the Podcast. When we return, singer, songwriter, Oscar nominee, Grammy winner, Stephen Bishop up next on Downtown the Podcast. Since its founding in 1954, Cross Insurance has grown from a small family-owned agency that started in Bangor, Maine, into one of the largest super regional insurance agencies in New England. With the network of offices throughout New England, Cross Insurance works with top carriers to provide maximum value to you, your family, and your business. We are proud to be the official insurance broker of the New England Patriots and would welcome the chance to provide security for your team. For more information, visit CrossInsurance.com. Cross Insurance, where security meets strength. Back on Downtown, the podcast. A little listen here to something from the brand new album from Stephen Bishop. She was three years old when the postcard came. Just the lips to kiss and her mama's name Cause mama had to get away from the old humdrum Like mother, like daughter, like father, like son 
That's the first single from Stephen Bishop's brand new album. We'll talk about it later in the car. We talked about it recently with Stephen, looking at the album, some of the songs from it. What else is going on in his life? Here's Stephen Bishop. The new album is terrific. We played a little bit of the first single, uh, Like Mother, Like Daughter. The title is an interesting one, and I understand uh, you owe that title to the late Carrie Fisher in some way and her mom, Debbie Reynolds. That's right. Do you want me to tell you about it? Please do, yes. Well, um, uh, I've used that title throughout my career, just on stage. It's, it's a great line for... Um, you know, if you're if you're if you've got to go somewhere or something, you know, you know, I I uh, I, I was climbing on uh, rhinos in Kenya and uh, trying to touch their horn. And anyway, we'll talk about it later. In the <laughs> it really works. <laughs> and what's the connection with Carrie Fisher to that line? Though is that something yeah, she said I, to you? Back in the early Seventies, uh, when at, right after she did um, Star Wars and everything, I was, uh, you know, I, I think I had. She's actually in a picture. Uh, I had a whole bunch of my friends um, do this thing for Whistling Bichette in my uh, Bish album, right. uh, and she's in there in the first row. And I, I wound up, you know, kind of just we had like dating, you know, kind of like high school dating, <laughs> and. Um, we were we went to Saturday Night Live one time and uh, you know we were hanging out and she wound up going in the booth there and they didn't have cell phones back then and uh, she called a friend of hers and then I overheard her mention anyway we'll talk about it later in the car and I thought oh this must be about me I'm like really a slime ball or something <laughs> and and anyway it was uh, an old line that she. Uh, used to uh, her mother used to say um, when they had to go or when they're in an argument, you know. Anyway, we'll talk about it later in the car. So it just uh, stuck with me, and I've been using that line all these years. I thought, you know, rather than call it, you know, centaur or some big, incredible name, uh, you know, I decided to go with that. I love it. It's a great collection of songs. Uh, I saw an interview where you said that these are songs that should have been hits years ago. Are are they all songs that you've had kicking around, or there's some new compositions on there? Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's some new ones. Um, for uh, Almost Home is new. Oh, I love that. That's one of my favorites. Yeah, Almost Home. That's uh, I wrote it with uh, a friend of mine, Kurt Sobel. Uh, we wrote it for um, this movie, Benji. Right, right. And um, yeah, it's it's on Netflix. <laughs> and and the song we played the, a little bit of is great. Uh, like mother, like daughter is a wonderful tune. Yeah, that's my single. It's a little different for me because it's kind of country and stuff. Uh, it's it, uh, it's you know, but people don't. It's kind of country pop, I guess, was what it is. When you capture a lot of styles, uh, you, you've got that, and then you've got boy, a, a great jazzy number that I, I like a lot. I don't know enough about you. Oh, I don't know enough about you. Yeah. That's a song that was um, that was performed by uh, and recorded by Peggy Lee. And uh, I just love Peggy Lee's stuff and, you know, I got all inspired to do uh, 
that song. It's also in a documentary that uh, I'm working on of my trip to the Philippines and my career and stuff. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that. Uh, how is that progressing, and when might we see the, the fruits of that labor? Uh, of, uh, of, of what? Of the documentary. Oh, the documentary. <laughs> I already forgot. I've been having problems with my short-term memory, my long-term memory, and my short-term memory. <laughs> I'm sorry. What did you say? I forgot already. Yeah, really. <laughs> so you're up there in Maine, right? We are indeed, yes. Yeah. That's pretty neat. I don't think I've ever been to Maine. Well, we have, we have to get you up here at some point. You know who we had in Maine uh, last fall? was Jimmy Webb, and, and during his performance up here, he comes on the show quite a bit with us, he he did the song Someone Else, and he told the story of how it was the first song he wrote when when his girlfriend dumped him, and I believe Art Garfunkel was the only person to record that song until you did for the new album, and I, what was he, 16 when he wrote that? That is a heartbreaker. Yeah, I really related to that song ever since I heard it, because Besides it being uh, noteworthy that um, you know he recorded it, he wrote it when he was twelve. Uh, I mean, when I was twelve, I was trying to take my finger out of my nose. You know, I mean, <laughs> twelve. I can't even believe what I where I was at twelve. I certainly wasn't like this, as as talented as this. Uh, it, it's just the song has a special meaning for me because when I was in high school, I had a. Um, a relationship. I, I went with this girl, uh, Claudia, and uh, one day um, I, I we were like together, like you know, about ten months. And one day uh, uh, I went out to the lunch quad from from uh, my math class, and um, just as I told her, said, "Oh, I'm just going to the bathroom," and then I went out to check on her because she, her, you know, her. Uh, uh, her lunch period was the same as my uh, math class. So anyway, so I go out there, and there she is making out with Brad Bright, this guy Brad Bright. <laughs> that's that's like, the name. Gosh. That's the perfect was, name for a guy who would be kissing your girlfriend, Brad Bright. It is. It is. Brad Bright. <laughs> but anyway, they wound up getting married. So oh, I think wow. they're still married after all these years. And well, kids and the whole thing. So it was like, you know, I guess it wasn't meant to be. <laughs> <laughs> We're talking to Stephen Bishop on Downtown. His new album is entitled, we'll talk about it later in the car. Is there a, a story behind In Love with a Violent Man? Well, there's not really a story. You know, I write these songs and, you know, with these ideas, uh, you know, for to, you know, to write a song like this. And um, it's a heavy song, that song. Mm. It's, um, I don't know where, where that's going to go. I mean, it's, I, I, I hope that uh, somebody, you know, gets something from it. Uh, it's, it's, it's a different topic, that's for sure. No, I don't have any personal experience with it. Now, do I understand that the original concept for the album was that you were going to do, and, and you've done uh, some demo albums that you've put together, but you decided uh, to add some orchestration and really flesh these out. What, what was the impetus to do that for you? I think the first idea, the very first idea a while ago, was to maybe do some demo uh, a demo album, but I decided a lot of my demos... Uh, were really good, so I decided to to flush them out and re re-record them. 
Uh, and uh, some of them are like that, and some of them are, they're kind of like my best of songs that I've written. You know, I guess that's the best uh, that nobody knows yet. <laughs> <laughs> French Postcards is all about being in France, and, you know, it's like this whole thing, and it was, you know, I never released it, and then I, you know, people really like it, so... I can't even understand how people re uh, relate to my songs in a funny way. You know, I'm I'm friends with um, Eric Clapton. He played on my first album. Mm. He's a great guy. Uh, and uh, he thought Tiny Pillow, my lullaby, that kind of ends the album uh, pretty much, um, he thought that was uh, a hit. I was like, well, I don't think a lullaby will be a hit. <laughs> <laughs> You know, number one, uh, what was that? Oh, I'm trying to think of a lullaby now to make my joke. Um, <laughs> it's hard to do. I mean, there's Brahms. and lullaby, um, you know. Uh, 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 nah, nah. Anyway, I'm pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, I enjoyed it last week. You were a guest DJ on Sirius XM Radio in the 70s channel. What was that experience like for you? Well, I'll tell you. It was fabulous. It was a lot like being in the 70s. I've got my my disc jockey voice, my old-fashioned disc jockey voice. Disc jockeys don't talk like that really anymore. I like that. I Why do I, I picture you sitting at home cupping your ear like Gary Owens? Oh, sure. <laughs> no, I do that all the time anyway, uh, just walking around senselessly. <laughs> Standard operating procedure right there. Well, the album is wonderful. Uh, we'll talk it over later in the car. Get it. Listen to it. You're going to love it. it. It sounds like a classic Stephen Bishop album. Great music, as always. Uh, Stephen, we wish you well. And as always, thank you so much for making All some right, time for thanks us. Thank so much. Let us know when you come up to Maine. I will. Uh, save me uh, a Maine lobster up there. We, we've got one sitting in the pot for you whenever you get here. Okay, good. All right. Thank you, Stephen. <laughs> All right. Thanks, buddy. Stephen Bishop talking about his new album. We'll talk about it later in the car. Our thanks to Stephen, both Stevens, Bishop and Tobolowski, for joining us this week on the program. And uh, thanks to you for being here as well. We remind you, Downtown the Podcast brought to you every week by Cross Insurance, where security meets strength. We'll see you next time here on Downtown.